0: sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Bruno Pesek. Bruno helps business leaders innovate profitably. He's the rare innovator who can claim that he's worked on a regulation-defying freight train and an award-winning board game. In addition to his corporate experience with brands like DNV, DNB, and Kongsberg Group, Bruno runs a community of entrepreneurs of several thousand members. Thanks so much for joining me today, Bruno.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I am happy to have you here. We're going to be talking about innovation and and product ideas. And so I would like to start by asking you what, what... you think innovation
1: is yeah and that's uh, that's such a brilliant question that uh, not a lot of people ask but it's so important because innovation like strategy and all the popular worlds it's like when you ask people what does it mean if you ask 10 people you will get 20 definitions so it is one of those words where it's very important to have a shared understanding so i will share my take on innovation i don't claim it's the best take in the world it's useful to me and it's important to well everyone who will listen to this conversation so they know what am i talking about so when i think about innovation i think about something new that creates value what i mean by new is it has to be new to the creator the innovator the company the organization and the customer it doesn't have to be new to the history of mankind we are quite inventive and creative a lot of things have been done. But just because someone else done them on the other side of the world doesn't mean that it isn't new to your customer base or to you as the organization. Value, that is something today that hopefully we are understanding is quite important. Uh, But we are talking a lot about customer value. That is extremely important. But it is also important to think that any successful innovation would also create value for the innovator. If the organization cannot capture back any of that value that they are creating, well, they will go bankrupt and then they won't be able to offer their innovation anymore, which kind of defeats the purpose in the first place.
0: So true. That's great. I, I appreciate it and I'm so glad you said that that it's not new to man, you know, to mankind, but new to the the people, you know, involved at, at this Juncture, because I think that that's a. I, I've had people say to me, "Oh, come on, someone already created that." It's like, okay. And what's your point? You, you know.
1: It... Exactly, and my favorite answer is someone made it great. <laughs> let's learn from them. <laughs> you know, right, let, let's, exactly.
0: Right, let's them exactly. that
1: curve. Right. Exactly. Let, let's let's see what worked well for them, what didn't work, how did customers react. Uh, Did they buy? Did they react positively? I mean, it's great news that somebody made something similar to what you're thinking about.
0: Yeah, boy, that is such a great point. I'm glad you said that. I totally agree. So having said that, and that, you know, sometimes it's something someone else has done, where should someone look for good ideas?
1: Mm -hmm. This is another one where people like to, you know, uh, say, think outside of the box, uh, go crazy, go bananas, etc. Now, uh, I'm talking from the perspective of a business, an organization. It doesn't matter if it's a SME or if it's a large, large company. I don't think that's always a good approach for the one simple reason. A lot of ideas are crap. That's just a part of the creation process, right? You need to come up with a, a lot of ideas that are kind of not really relevant. When we talk about innovation, what we have learned in the last 20 years that really innovation is a numbers game. So in order to, to get that one brilliant idea that will bring in money that's relevant to the organization of your size, so it could be seven, nine figures, whatever will register in your and statement, You need to invest in between 100 and 150 ideas. But when I say 100 and 150 ideas, I don't mean 100 random ideas. All of those ideas need to be aligned with what your organization is doing. So that's why I say, you know, don't think outside of the box. Don't go, you know, some uh, crazy ideas to make bananas on the Mars or whatever. First, start from your business, start from your existing customers and start with your existing offering. That is the best starting point. There is this great, great misconception uh, that the best ideas come in this some um, moment when you're showering or doing something and there's this moment of brilliance. Yes, but that is a side effect of being in the industry for 10, 20, 30 years, for doing your work every day, for being engaged with your customers, with your operations. That's what enables these brilliant moments. They don't come out of thin air. Like It's not that we exist in a state of vacuum. So my suggestion is always to find the best ideas. Start from within your business especially from customer, start from the value flow, from the value chain, and then start expanding outside. When you have such ideas, you're also developing your innovation muscle. That's another great misconception where people think that, you know, when the brilliant idea comes, they will be able to implement it just like that. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. It's like going to the gym and never having worked out in your life and then deciding I'm going to lift, I don't know, 500 pounds. You (laughs) won't do that unless you're a genetic freak. You cannot count on being a freak. That's an outline. That's an anomaly. So if you want to be ready to grab that brilliant idea, it means that you must invest in a lot of small ideas along the way. You must develop that muscle of innovating, testing ideas, bringing them to life, capturing value back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a process. It's a system. It's not a one-time freak activity.
0: Oh, that is so great. <laughs> seriously, I Seriously, I appreciate I love the analogy to going to the gym. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, so, okay, so your team comes up with, say, 50 ideas. Mm. So what do you do to get to, like, to select the best ideas. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Then I'm I'm sure you've seen things like that. So uh, some executive or some manager decides, hey, we should have a brainstorming session. Let's bring in an external expert that will help us uh, set up a one-day or two-day workshop or retreat or something like that. And then they come up in a day with 50 or 100 or more ideas. And then they go back to the headquarters and someone asks, <laughs> okay, what do we do with this? How, how do we pick this? And w- what's usually a knee-jerk reaction is uh, people start coming up with uh, criterias. Like, okay, uh, for every idea, we should look, uh, what will the impact be? How much will it cost to implement? Do we have people? And, you know, suddenly you have a monster spreadsheet. The problem with that is, It's all a waste of time for one single reason, what I mentioned a few minutes ago. Ideas first need to be aligned with your business. Before you start analyzing anything, you need to check, one, is this an idea at all? And two, is it aligned with a business strategy or if you're a big, big, big conglomerate corporate strategy? These two things. Uh, Why do I say you need to check this is an idea? If you just get the post-it note, which says... Uh, we should introduce product X to market Y. That's not an idea. That, that's, that's just a thought that's unfinished on a post-it note. You, you can't do anything with that. An idea clearly says, what is this about? Who is it for? How will they benefit And how will the business benefit? I'm not talking about having a business plan. I'm talking about uh, something at the level of uh, we would like to make a bracelet with a chip that people at the beach could use to pay for the products instead of carrying their wallet. I'm not saying this is a brilliant idea. What I'm saying is that is actually an idea like It is not unfinished thought. You can do something with it. You can try to filter it. You can try to analyze it. But if if you just have something that's unfinished thought, it's a total waste of time to do anything except trying to elaborate. Now, that's one. When, When you make sure that you have actual ideas, then my biggest suggestion is look at your business strategy. If it doesn't align with your business strategy, just rip it apart. If it's good, it will come back. If it challenges the strategy so much, then you need to have discussion around the strategy. Why say these two things? Again, because if you overanalyze way too early, that will all be wasted effort because only one thing is true about innovation. It's uncertain. That means that ideas you had on day, day one will be different after 90 days of working with them. So why, why spend hours and hours and hours which usually translates into weeks of analyzing all these ideas when some of them you could immediately eliminate. So it's it's when people say kill your darlings. Well, this is that taken to the extreme. Like first I want to check if they're darlings at all.
0: <laughs> I've never heard that saying kill your darlings. Never. <laughs> this is the first for me. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, it's not. I, I totally... I get what you're saying, and I, um, I think it's so great to differentiate between an idea and a thought, mm. because that, that I agree with you. That that's a big, you know, people can spend an awful lot of time on a thought, but if you can go through that process of really identifying the idea, I think it probably gets you closer to whether it's worth exploring or not, because you're answering exactly. those questions.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that is especially important in uh, you know, any organization that has more than 100 employees. Because what usually happens is uh, people proposing ideas aren't the same people who analyze ideas, usually in a larger organization. So that is even more important. Because, for example, once I was working with a client and it was exactly the situation uh, the, the innovation team basically went on a wild goose chase because they had sticky notes like this and they were trying to understand what the hell was written there. So they would spend three to five days, you know, hunting down people that actually made the proposals, speaking with different people in organization to realize this isn't even relevant to our business unit.
0: (laughs) But don't, I mean, I think that probably happens a lot, but one of the things that I see in organizations is, people feel like they have to justify their existence so Mm. they think they have to come up with something today you know something they can move forward with not tethered at all to what the company does
1: Mm, mm, mm. and here i I would also or in my experience at least i also put uh blame on uh, top management as well because in their head they believe business strategy is clear to everyone, but they forget uh, th- that's something they deal with every day. At operations, it, it, it doesn't reach them on the same level. So the easiest way for any executive to, to test their own strategy is actually to speak with their own people and try to understand, How do they talk about their strategy? Because if the people from the front line don't understand business strategy, then they cannot make meaningful contributions back to the company in terms of proposals, ideas, improvement options, et cetera. So any executive can actually benefit from spending some time, uh, what I call comprehension testing their strategy. Like, can your employees play back your strategy without reading your strategy documents or, or annual reports or whatever fancy slide that you have. If not, you have a problem.
0: <laughs> That's really great. I, I love that. So are there other tips for testing like other things that a, a company mm-hmm. should do to test an idea?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we could be talking about that for hours, but in general, uh, You mentioned the keyword just uh, moments ago, explore. And what is really, really, really important is to recognize because of the way innovation works, as we said earlier, it's uncertain. So the best way about thinking about testing ideas is there's a maturity involved. So in the beginning from that sticky note, from from that uh, assumption of what this idea is about, You want to explore if there's any demand for this idea. If someone made it before, if customers ever use something similar, how would they react? And all of that can be done without six-figure, seven-figure, nine-figure investments. You don't need to go and make make or buy analysis. You don't need to go and make agreements with vendors about your new product. What you need to do is use what you have at hand in order to test these things, to explore the viability and feasibility of the idea as cheaply as possible. And then as that matures, as you see, okay, there's something potential here, then you can start talking about prototyping, again, something cheaper than what you would usually do in your new product development process or in your R&D process. The easiest way to think about visually is building a staircase. But it's not so linear as building an actual physical staircase and the reason for that is simple. As I'm I'm repeating here myself, but because innovation is uncertain, that means that we cannot guarantee the outcome. I'm in the innovation space for now more than a decade, I worked on some mind blowing things, I still cannot guarantee that if I start working on one idea today that it will going to be splendid success, but the things I can do is pick the process, control my contributions, and control my cost. Those are my levers as the organization. There is no reason to put in $7 million on one team just to explore an idea. <laughs> you know, I can explore an idea for $20,000 and two weeks of work, for example. I don't need to go and build a new uh, plant. I don't need to go and develop fully new vaccine or new compound or something like that. I can make much, much, much smaller investment in order to test the viability and feasibility of the idea itself. When speaking in large organizations to financial units like a CFO office or something similar, the language they understand are options or options theory. By focusing on such smaller chunks of work, you have the option to stop any project before it gets too expensive and too uncertain. And that is so, 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 so important for innovation projects, because what you're doing in essence is at the early stages, you're trading dollars for insight. That's what you're doing. You're not really trading dollars for future revenue, not not at that stage. That comes much later. And I'll, Dan, I'll just stop here for a moment because I can go just for hours on this topic just, just to check in with you. Does this make any sense at all?
0: It does make sense. I, I, it absolutely makes sense to me. And I would like you to continue with that because I found it interesting that prototyping wasn't the first thing.
1: Exactly. Okay. Th- then then I continue and you just yep. jump in if, if you hear something even more interesting. Okay. Yep. So the reason I said prototyping is a number one is prototyping also costs. And there's a lot of things that can be tested without prototyping first. So for example, a large financial institution was preparing to introduce a new insurance product. What they did first was look at all data. Okay, nothing cool here. Then they started looking into how have customers previously behaved. Now, this is where it started to get interesting, because there was a point where almost 95% of the customers just dropped off, and nobody knew why. So, there were teams, there were proposals, hey, let's build a new prototype website, hey, let's build this new cool things, but not spend too much money, but let's build prototypes. But someone said, hey, before we build prototypes, we need to understand why this 95% people drops off. It doesn't matter if we build a new prototype. It will be even worse if the prototype fixes it, because we will not know what did we fix. And if you don't know what you fixed, then you cannot repeat the fix. So what they did instead was they sat down with, uh, what what do you call them in English, customer call operators huh?
0: so they customer sat,
1: service yeah uh, customer service agents exactly yeah. so so they sat with them uh, just to listen in on some of the calls on the existing offering and what they found out was that people were dropping off because they were not sure that they clicked everything correctly online that's mm. it Like So, they they filled out the forms, they understood the questions, they understood everything, how to apply, uh, what to put in, what numbers, but they were afraid to click submit because they were not sure that the data they put in is correct and they were not sure what would happen if it's wrong. They were not sure if they would just hear back uh, after a few weeks that they have been denied the loan or insurance or if something else would happen now this was very very critical insight because (laughs) then it wasn't about building a prototype of the website then it changed then it's changed to building a prototype of basically having a pop-up and adding another paragraph of text to the form to the existing form explaining to the customer what will happen now When you hear that in this conversation, this sounds so obvious, but so few companies actually approach it that way. Because, I mean, humans like to create stuff. It's in our nature. Of course, our initial response is, let's make something new. (laughs) Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Do you
0: love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out.
1: But back, back to what I was saying uh, before. So yeah. uh, the, the reason why this options approach is so powerful is exactly because at any stage, you can say no. And that is so, so, so powerful. One thing that big companies especially forget is that in the early stage of investing in innovation projects, what's your biggest asset is everything you learn. So, what you learn about customers, what you learn about this product, even if you fail and you document that and you make it available to your teams, you will be able to derive value from it. For example, When I worked with a large international company in the certification business, uh, one team was working on a very, 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 very specific type of certificate. It's a very niche product. And uh, as a part of that, they were speaking with a lot of customers and potential customers in that area. And what they found wasn't really relevant to their idea at all, but every potential customer said something that was of relevance to completely different business units that was not dealing with certificates, but was dealing with specific type of inspections. What the team did was they took that insights and they just notified, hey guys, this is what we learned. That's what this cross-pollination is in reality. Now that team had very contextual information. They actually took it and they were able to come up with a new offering Relatively quickly and inexpensively, because the company has the same investment. They invested in one team, and that team was able to document their learning, which was immediately used by a completely different business. What what I like to say is organizations are, are dead. Organizations don't know anything, they're artificial creations. It's Bruno and Diane that know something. If people in the company don't have access to Bruno and Diane, then how can the company say that they have that expertise? And that is so, so, so important when it comes to innovation because sometimes people position innovation as this sort of exclusive, elitist thing, like only for maybe R&D or or people with a high education or something like that. And that's, that's nonsense. It just doesn't work. Anyone can be innovative and creative it is within every human being now how high that potential is is of course different but to me i mean in the western society freedom is valued very very highly so to me it's more important to have freedom to propose ideas than to take it away if if you understand what i'm saying because it doesn't make sense to me to say, hey, only 1% of organization is allowed to to innovate or propose ideas or, or right. things like that. That's, that's not scalable. Why would you do that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but why do they do it?
1: Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. So this is just my experience based on uh, European companies. It's usually a side effect of something going very badly in the history of the company. Ah. Oh. So, so uh, may, maybe, okay, I can't go into too many details. So, that makes so I'll, sense. I'll, I'll,
0: you know, you're yeah. gun shy. Yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. So the, 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 there was this company, that, they made a really, really, really big investment in, in entering one specific market uh, that, that was made on relatively misinformed uh, suggestion. And then, mm-hmm. of course, after that happened, when executives lose face, that's that's what I hate the most like executives hate losing face losing power and losing their bonus to salary (laughs) so like and that's like these two things is what can happen realistically if if you put you know all your eggs in one basket if you put the whole budget in one innovative project that can happen so when that happens then ceos tend to react uh, illogically, forbidding people to suggest ideas, making that very difficult, uh, forbidding uh, radical, disruptive innovation, etc. As you said, they become gun-shy. Now, that's a nice expression.
0: (laughs) I I thought that the minute I said it, actually. I haven't said it in a while. Yeah, it's got all sorts of interesting. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... You distinguish between doing and managing innovation, mm-hmm. and I would love it if you would explain that. you know tell us more
1: mm-hmm.
0: about so, what that looks like and you know
1: why it's important. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, oh, th- th- this would be uh, everybody who's listening, try, try to imagine this in your head. So imagine that you have a piece of paper and on the left side, of that paper, imagine a small light bulb, or a big light bulb, doesn't matter, light bulb. And now on the far right side of the paper, imagine a gift, a wrapped gift, or a small factory, or dollar signs, or smiling customers. Doing innovation is about taking that light bulb to that million or hundred million dollar business, or hundred smiling customers, or a million smiling customers, whatever. That's never a straight line. It's always a chaos. But that is doing innovation. Managing innovation is taking that crazy process and multiplying it with 100 or 200 every year. That is managing innovation. So doing innovation is what innovators do. They transform ideas into businesses. What managers do, they need to provide tools, processes, services to these innovators. And managers also need to act as translators between executives and innovators. Remember what I told you earlier, uh, understanding strategy. The reality is still that most of the frontline doesn't understand the strategy of their business, not because they're intellectually deficient or something, just because of the way executives communicate strategy like with a lot of jargon and it becomes marketing speak and it's usually obtuse. And frankly speaking, quite often, business strategies are poorly formulated. You know, when, when someone tells you this is a strategy and they give you a laundry list a laundry list of uh, to-do tasks, that's not a strategy, <laughs> but, but they think it is. So managers, they, they act basically as translators between these two layers. What I like to say is innovators innovate, Managers manage, executives fund. In bigger organization, it's it's not a manager or sorry, it's not the senior leader or executive that will necessarily be transforming these light bulbs into businesses. And they will also not manage that. But what they will do is they will release the funds to the ideas. They will say, okay, I give you my thumbs up to spend three months and that amount of money. So that is why I say it's important to differentiate between doing and managing innovation. Because a lot of companies, when they think that they're bad at innovation, what they're talking about is they think they're bad at doing innovation and they will bring in people that will help them with creativity, design thinking, lean startup, or pick whatever flavor of methodology is currently cool and sexy and attractive. But the thing is, That doesn't matter so much. There are a lot of good processes. Some are better than the others, but that's the easy thing. The difficult thing is actually managing innovation. How do you measure investments in innovation? How do you measure the performance of your teams? How do you set up your innovation strategy? Or alternatively, how do you set up innovation objectives within your strategy? How do you do all of that? How do you create alignment and direction and put impetus in that direction for your organization? That is managing innovation. And that is hella difficult because of yeah. all the reasons.
0: <laughs> it <laughs> sounds like it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. My God, I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> okay, so... But if I'm understanding this right, there's the innovators who innovate. And then there's the man. This is what I heard you say. The managers yeah. manage and the executives fund,
1: Yep. right? Correctly.
0: Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. I yeah. get that. And everyone I- needs to know their role.
1: Yeah it's uh, again uh, I'm not saying this to to be exclusive or anything but it is useful within an organization when when there are clear expectations of course innovator can manage and fund as well of course uh, everybody can have multiple roles but the bigger the organization is the stronger there will be Delineation. It, it it just happens. And the opposite is true for the smaller companies. Of course, if you run a 20 person operation, it's highly likely that the CEO is going to be doing all of these things. But the distinction becomes more and more important the larger and more complex the organization is, especially when it comes to profit and loss or expectations of profit and loss. Because one of the things that I say when you look at the uh, current state of best practices in the world of of corporate innovation especially uh, there are advices about setting up separate innovation units setting up chief innovation officer setting up this and that and etc my suggestion is if you want innovation to work in your organization it needs to be within a pnl unit that means it needs to be within a unit that's actually making money because as we said at the very beginning of our conversation, if innovation is about something new that creates value, how can you put it in the part of an organization that won't be making any value? It, it, it's like putting innovation in accounting. Account, your internal accounting won't go out billing customers, or, or I hope they won't. <laughs> that, that would be very bad practice. It's, it's, it's silly. It doesn't make sense. OK, you can have, uh, let's say, a global support unit for innovation. Think IT, shared services, etc. But they shouldn't be expected to bring in the money. Money should be brought in from the business units selling products and services to the customers. That's where innovation should be happening, at the customer-facing side. And again, in conversation, this sounds natural. But the moment you work in the organization, especially a larger one, politics kick in, People want their turf, they want their title, they want their role, they want this, they want that, Uh, results to (laughs) hell. Right, because it's
0: all about them, right? I get it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a focus problem, I would say,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Oh, my gosh, Bruno, I've so enjoyed this conversation, and this is... I like how you break it down in a way that you know makes sense, is actionable, uh, and and I, in a weird way, is sort of empowering for mm. small businesses. I think because it really shows how possible innovation mm. is, and and mm. why there's value in pursuing it.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And w- what I like to say, especially for small businesses, one of their biggest strength is they have one single strategy. And as long as they can resist the urge to have a, a strategy for buying toilet rolls, a strategy for changing color on the website, etc., the better mm-hmm. for them. Because that helps them having this alignment focus, as you said. And focus is I don't want to say underrated, because people understand the value of focus, but for some reason, they ignore it. So mm-hmm. everybody, everybody understands how important is it to remain focused, implement, execute, drive, deliver, and yet we don't do it. And it's a discipline issue.
0: Yes, yes, it absolutely is. Yep, I'm totally with you on that. Will you tell the listeners how they can find you, please?
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely. So um, you can find me on www.pesec.no. So everything I've spoken about today, you can find on the website. Uh, What I try to do is uh, I write a lot and I put everything online freely available because to me, knowledge is something that should be accessible. I benefit so much from Uh, what what we as a mankind have learned and shared in the past and i learned from that and that's why i share back so i hope that uh, you find at least one useful thing
0: oh my gosh i think the listeners are going to find more than one useful thing so (laughs) i like i said I, i i value it i appreciate it thank you so much for joining me here thank you for having
1: me it's been great
0: absolutely and listeners you uh thank you as well you are who we're doing this for Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day.
1: Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed.